Ezra chapter 7. We're going to begin reading at verse 11 and we'll read to the end of the chapter. And if you have one of the outlines of the sermon, you may want to just take a quick look at that and notice various elements in this letter that I'm going to make special mention of. There are six different things in this letter that you really ought to take note of. Ezra chapter 7, beginning at verse 11. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the freewill offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God, that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes, the king, Make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence. Up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil and salt without prescribing how much? Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful 
to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God. And those who do not know them, you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's go to God in prayer. I have my Father, once again, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, for the opportunity to hear your word proclaimed. We pray that I'll open our hearts and open our minds, that we may absorb the peace of the scripture, that we may draw closer to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before the service, I asked two elders if they recalled that a year ago, I preached a sermon from the same passage. And they said, no, they didn't recall that. I don't dare ask you, but I want to inform you, I did. A year ago, the Sunday before Memorial Day, I preached a sermon from Ezra chapter 7, the same verses that I read a while ago. Today is a different sermon. The notes, the outline is quite different. The reason for this is because over the last five, six months, I have been doing an intensive study of the book of Esther. I had never studied Esther before. I had no clue. I just remember that there was a queen who was deposed for some reason. She refused to go. To the, and I, there was this beautiful, shapely young lady called Esther who becomes queen. Um, that was about the sum total of it. I have found the book of Esther to be tremendously challenging and very helpful in my understanding of the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and Malachi. Hopefully some of that will become apparent as we go through the message. What I want to do first of all is to look at some of the elements in this letter that King Artaxerxes gives to Ezra the scribe, the priest. 
a year ago when I preached this, I focused on the amazing power and ability of God to direct and control the affairs of nations to his own glory and to his own benefit. And at that time, I conjectured that Artaxerxes was probably a son of Queen Esther, or at least a stepson of Queen Esther. I no longer hold to that. Even ministers are allowed to change their minds if the Word of God shows them a different perspective. The two books, though, Esther and Ezra, are very, very tightly linked. But we want to start by looking at this letter. And I hope as you reflect on it and you say, wait a minute, did a pagan king of a pagan empire that is governed by the religion of Zoroastrianism actually decree all of these things that are in this letter? And the answer is yes. It's very clear. It's very clearly stated. This is what King Artaxerxes decrees that must be done. And I hope you ask some questions. Say, why? Why did he do this? When did he do this? Those are questions we'll address after we get into points two and three. Looking first of all at the letter, the first thing I want you to notice is that it's not just King Artaxerxes who has some kind of special relationship with Ezra who is making this proclamation. Artaxerxes does it with his seven counselors. All the commentaries that I've looked at say that the seven, seven counselors would be comparable to the cabinet of our president. These are his top hand-picked advisors, the ones who pretty much govern all the decision-making. They're the ones who advise the king and say, do this, but don't do that. So this letter comes not as a personal kind of thing from a king who has a personal relationship to Ezra, but it comes as an official government proclamation. The whole empire of Persia is behind this. The empire, in all of its breadth, in all of its extensive qualities, is saying this is what you have to do. So it comes from the seven counselors and the king. It comes as an official government proclamation. But then notice that they say something about wealth. Uh, it's not just a matter of let's give a little contribution, let's give a little offering to these people who are going to Jerusalem. Not at all. If you think back into Ezra chapter 1, when King Cyrus is giving Zerubbabel and Jeshua permission to go back to Jerusalem, Cyrus, in his generosity, says, oh, you may take all of the equipment out of the temple that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and brought to Babylon. You may have that back. 
you're going to go to Jerusalem, you're going to reestablish the worship, you're going to reestablish the altar and the temple. Take all of those goodies along. That's not what Artaxerxes is saying. Artaxerxes is saying, take every bit of gold and silver that you can find in the entire province. Wherever you can find gold or silver in the whole province of Babylon, take it. That's what the text says. You are sent by the king and his seven counselors and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God who's dwelling with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia. How much is that? Well, we're going to read when you get ahead to verse 21 and 22, let it be done with all diligence up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine. A talent of silver weighs 75 pounds. Do your arithmetic. If you have 100 talents of silver at 75 pounds, you have 7,500 pounds of silver. You don't carry that in your backpack. You have a whole bunch of camels and donkeys loaded. And they're going on a desert trek of about 1,000 miles. It's going to take them four months. But you jump ahead to chapter 8, and you say, wait a minute, there's more. Look at chapter 8, verse 26. I weighed out into their hand 650 talents of silver, and silver vessels worth 200 talents. Now you do the multiplication. You have semi-loads of silver and gold. And the king says, whatever you can find, wherever you can find it, take it. It's yours. What's gotten into this king? What in the world is going on? But something else. This is going to be a spiritual journey, a spiritual assignment. You have to go to Jerusalem with the best instruction to make certain that all the Jews who are living in Judah, in Benjamin, in Jerusalem, that they are worshiping God precisely as God demands. In other words, God says, you're going to have this sacrifice. You're going to have this feast. You have to have so many bulls, so many lambs, so many this, so many of that. Who's going to provide it? Well, the clergy, the Levites, and the priests can take whatever money they get and buy whatever animals they need. But they also get other special privileges. We looked there that in verse uh, <clears throat> 21 has more information that I want to uh, focus on. Let's go back there to verse 21. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree 
to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence. That province, the province that's called beyond the river, includes all of Assyria, Syria, and Palestine, what we would call the Middle East. That whole province, whatever Ezra asks for, give it to him. And if you don't, Ezra has the authority to punish you. He can put you to death. He can put you in prison. He can confiscate all your property. Ezra has that kind of power and that kind of privilege. But something else comes through here. The whole purpose of this is to focus on the proper worship of God. King Artaxerxes, from all indicators, is not a believer, but he's acting like someone who is a believer. He is making all of these claims and all of these assignments and say, the primary purpose here is that God, the God in Jerusalem, the God of heaven, the God that you worship, must be worshipped according to his own laws. That's why Ezra is such a key person. He has to interpret the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, where all those laws are spelled out, and he has to make certain that all the worship in Jerusalem is done according to those. This is Artaxerxes' command. And then he says, oh, another thing. You may not tax any of the church workers. You may never impose any tax or tribute or custom on any of the Levites, any of the priests, any of the choir members, any of the servants who help in the temple. None of them may ever be taxed. They may tax you for whatever they want, but you may never attack, tax them. And then he says... You're going to need government officials. You're going to need judges. You're going to need magistrates in all these different places. Uh, Ezra, you have the right to appoint anyone that you want. Your appointments are final. You don't have to have them approved by the Senate. You don't have to have them approved by the seven counselors. That's your privilege. That's your Now, say, what in the world is going on? Why would King Artaxerxes make such outlandish, such stupendous kinds of proclamations? Well, before we can answer the why, we have to answer the when question. When does this occur in history? When you go back to the beginning of chapter 7, you will notice there that this is a decree issued by Artaxerxes, and we know from various sources that this occurs in the year 458 B.C. On your outline, that's that first date. Ezra is commissioned by Artaxerxes. And then you go back into chapter 6, and what's the last thing that Ezra mentions? He talks about, oh, the Passover was celebrated at the time that the temple was dedicated. When was the temple finished? When was the temple dedicated? 
we know that that was in 515 B.C. That's the third date. 515 B.C., the temple is dedicated and the Passover is celebrated. That's a span of 57 years between the time that the temple was dedicated and the time that Artaxerxes commissions Ezra. That's 57 years. What was going on? What in the world was happening in the world in the Persian Empire during those 57 years? Well, smack dab in the middle of it is the story of Esther and Haman and Mordecai. Esther becomes queen in 479 B.C. Vashti is kicked out five years before that. And Vashti is kicked out because this drunken king, Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, as the Greeks called him, Xerxes wanted Vashti to come before all of his noblemen wearing just her crown, nothing more. And Vashti says, I refuse. I'm not going to go there stark naked in front of all those men. What is wrong with you? Well, Ahasuerus, from all practical purposes, is drunk. They've been drinking wine without stop. Vashti's kicked out. Esther becomes queen. Esther, from all indications, is not a believer. Some people say, oh, Esther is such a great, wonderful person. She's a believer in God. She worships. No. There's no indication of that anywhere in the book of Esther. She's part of the harem. And harems have a very special assignment. But you have the story there of Haman getting angry at Mordecai, at Mordecai because Mordecai won't stand up and bow to him. So Haman, who hates Jews with a passion, orchestrates events so that on a given day, the Persians have the right to go and kill any Jew they can find in the entire empire. And you kill them and you take all their property. The plunder is yours. The amazing thing is that that is announced one full year before it's supposed to happen. A full year from the time that is issued, that edict is issued, until the day that it may occur is a full year of time. What are all the Jews, what are all the God worshipers doing? They're screaming and crying. They're going into panic. We're all going to die. Well, without going into all the details, Esther and Mordecai are able to get the king to issue a counter decree. On that day, the 13th day of the month of Adar, all the Jews, for the first time in their history, have the right to defend themselves. They may gather, they may organize into militias, and they may defend themselves against anybody who attacks them. And when you read through Esther chapter 8, 
you will realize on that one day, and this is one of the strangest civil wars you can ever imagine, on that one day in the capital city of Susa, 500 of the best men are killed. No Jews are killed. And in the rest of the empire, there are 75,000 Jews killed, excuse me, Persians killed by the Jews. 75,000 plus 500 in Susa, plus the ten sons of Haman. And then Esther says, oh, King Xerxes, could we have one more day in Susa? Because apparently there is a whole bunch of hostility yet in the capital city. So could we have one more day in the capital? And he says, yes, go ahead. Another 300. If you were the following king, the son of Ahasuerus, who is Artaxerxes, what would be your reaction? No Jews were killed. 75,810 Persians are killed. What kind of God is this? What kind of God do these people worship? We have to stand in mortal fear. That God could kill every one of us with the simplest movement. What does Artaxerxes do? What do his seven counselors do? We have to be mighty, mighty fearful of this God. We have to do everything possible to appease him. We have to make certain that he's worshipped exactly as he wants. You go back and you read about a previous incident with the Samaritans. When the Samaritans were put into Palestine by the Assyrians, God sent in a number of lions. You can read about this in the book of Kings. God sent some lions into their camps and they killed a number of people. And the Samaritans said, uh-oh, we obviously offended one of the local gods. They must have a local god in the hills somewhere. We better do something. So they hired a Levite priest and said, you tell us how to do it. And this Levite priest who has been schooled in the wrong places says, oh, well, you have to have an idol at Dan and you have to have another one here and you have to do exact. And God says, no, that's not the way I want to be worshipped. That's false. Artaxerxes and his counselors apparently learned from Ezra that God has a very specific law. And God wants to be worshipped in a very special kind of way. He says, Ezra, take as many Levites and priests as you possibly can and go to Jerusalem. Do everything possible to make your God happy. To worship him as he wants. Because if you don't, he could come and wipe out our whole country.
It's an amazing kind of thing going on here. I couldn't have begun to understand it if I hadn't studied the book of Esther. And I challenge you to study that book and see it for what it's saying. But come to realize that our God is capable of doing that very thing today. There's so much evil in our society. There's so much corruption in our world. You say, Lord, bring righteousness to our nation. We're going to be celebrating the 4th of July, our independence this week. And I hope that all of us pray that our president, his cabinet, the Congress, the courts, bow before that same God and realize how awesome he is and how powerful and ask him to bring righteousness and justice to our land. Let's pray.